You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily podcast on the Kentucky Wildcats. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, what's going on, Big Blue Nation? Welcome on in to Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. I'm your host, Lance Dahl, writer for Sports Illustrated for various SEC-related things. But on this podcast specifically, we take a dive into all things Kentucky athletics. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Today's episode is also sponsored by Greg Cook. There's no read for this one. Just wanted to shout out my man, Greg. All right, today's episode, we are going to be not necessarily recapping Kentucky's loss to UCLA. I mean, we're going to go over it, but there's a bigger picture thing I want to get to here today. This is the most frustrated I have seen this Kentucky fan base since I started doing this podcast a year ago. This is the most upset I've seen the online fan base since I started doing this. And so I want to talk about whose fault is it? There's clearly something going on here. And there are, there's somebody that we have to blame. Whose fault is it? And before I see you scurrying to the comments to say it's the fan's fault, I want you to go ahead and take your hands off the keyboard and just listen for a second, okay? This has nothing to do with the fans. This is the on-the-court on the product, almost said on-the-field product. On-the-court product. Whose fault is it that Kentucky cannot step up in big games? Is it the players? Or is it the coaches? I want to get to that today. I want to talk about the UCLA game. I want to talk about what this team is doing. What is their identity moving forward? Really appreciate you guys listening today. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you're out there listening on podcast, go ahead and leave a review for the show, please. Would really appreciate it if you guys would leave a five-star review specifically. So whose fault is it, guys? We've only got one of two options here. It's either the player's fault that Kentucky has not been succeeding for the past three seasons. Well, last year they succeeded, but a lot of people define it as postseason success whenever they look at whether or not a team was good. And so a lot of people like to say, oh, well, last year's team wasn't that great. Well, it was pretty decent. It just things fell down, fell apart down the stretch. But anyway, point being, things have not been going well for three straight years. And I want to put something out there for you real quick. If we're going to have the argument, okay, is it the player's fault or is it the coach's fault? John Calipari, by the numbers, since signing his lifetime contract, he is 67 and 33 overall. He is 8 and 15 against ranked teams. I want to pause here. John Calipari is 8 and 15 at Kentucky against ranked teams. Since signing his lifetime contract, I have no idea how any of you could possibly look at that and say, that's okay. I don't believe any of you are, so let's get that out of the way quick. That's not acceptable at Kentucky. To be quite honest with you, it's not acceptable at any of these Blue Blood programs. Against non-conference Power 5 teams since signing his contract, he is 7-11. and 11. No tournament wins, one SEC tournament win. And that was what, against Vanderbilt last year? Right? So who do we blame, guys? 
Who do we blame? This season, the Wildcats, believe it or not, everybody wants to complain about the shooting. They're 38th nationally and three-point percentage, right? They're 114th in effective field goal percentage. They're in the top third in that. They're not as efficient as they may want to be, but they're not suffering, I think, statistically as bad as a lot of people want to paint it. You know, I, I genuinely believe that these players have talent. And I think you think all of you listening understand where my opinion is going right now. Listen, this roster has talent, and there's no doubt about that. Some of you were complaining on Twitter the other day about how, oh, you know, well, this is just a bunch of hot, this is a hodgepodge of players that weren't particularly talented, and they're just not really making it happen. I think the biggest thing, and we'll talk about this whenever we get into the recap of the actual UCLA game, which, by the way, if you didn't see it, Kentucky lost, and they scored 53 points in the process. Going to put an emphasis on that later on. But So you got a National Player of the Year at center. The only thing that they lack, the Wildcats lack, if we're going to talk about player talent and like player ability here, if we're going to switch that over instead of talking about John Calpari, I think Jacob Toppin is an athletic player. I think he's a talented player. But there are some things that it doesn't. he doesn't necessarily... He hasn't gelled with this team so far this year. And there's a lot of film and there's a lot of numbers to back that up. I think a lot of people would agree lacking a true four, like a true four, is, is, not, is, is not beneficial for this team. So you got a National Player of the Year. You've got Jacob Toppin. You've got a Bob Cousy finalist, award finalist in Severe Wheeler. You've got a five-star in Casey Wallace. And then you've got a transfer in Antonio Reeves who was averaging over 20 a game at his previous stop. And correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but he's still right up there in terms of points per game for the Wildcats as a whole. In fact, he's second on the team with 13 a game. So for anybody out there that thought that he couldn't make the transition to the SEC, he's doing pretty well so far. And I would expect him to kind of keep afloat as things move on. So there's one five-star in Kaysen Wallace, Bob Cousy Award finalist, National Player of the Year. Does it really matter if he had any stars to begin with? He was the best player in college basketball last season. Chris Livingston's a five-star. Damian Collins is a five-star. Yugona Onyenzo is a five-star. Lance Ware's a five-star. C.J. Frederick wasn't, but he's had his role limited. So does it really matter? Do we need a five-star being that, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Ninth player in terms of percentage of possessions used? I don't think so. And then you've got a Duthie Arrow who has been kind of battling in injury and for some reason has not been thrust into the starting line. I don't, know, I don't know if he's still injured. I know he's battling something early. But yeah, this team does not lack talent. Anybody out there that, that, that would try and tell me this team does not have talent is just simply incorrect. They're just simply wrong. They aren't short. They don't shoot poorly. At least not from three, anyway. They're not great from two. The free throws are an issue, but I have, I have opinions on that. So I think the team is talented. I think the team has shown ability. I think the team has proven that they can execute, but they've not done it against good competition. And I think, in my opinion, that comes back to coaching. That comes back to coaching. 
the half-court offense late in games. Sure, Kentucky's not making their shots. You're going to blame that on the players. I blame it on the coaches. They're not putting these kids in position consistently to know what they want to do at the end of games. Hey, let's go ahead and start talking about this UCLA game. Kentucky was down 55 to 53, I believe, with a little over four minutes left. They didn't score for the rest of the game. They did not score for the rest of the game. I do not understand why people are so defendant, defensive for John Calipari. I do not understand it. I'm not calling for his job. I'm not even saying that this year is a failure because there is so much opportunity for him and this staff to turn it around. And I'm excited about that. But if we're going to blame somebody for the inconsistent offense, if we're going to blame somebody for not understanding what to do when a game gets tight, if we're going to blame somebody for not this committing to running a modern offense like they said they would earlier in the offseason, I think it's John Calipari and the coaching staff. It's not just him. I saw one of our friends here on the program, Sean Vinzel of Hoops Insight, just yesterday talking, uh, you know, just uh, in spheres on Twitter. And he, I, I've yet to read the newsletter, but I'm really eager to do so. Would highly encourage you guys to go check out Hoops Insight. But he was talking about how He's not going to blame specifically Cal for the offensive issues because he's leaving it out for possibility that this coaching staff surrounding him is helping convince him to run the things that he is continuing to run. And listen, I said this, gosh, I think I said it last week, early last week, that if he is set in his ways at this point, and we are nine games into the year, it was nine games at the time. If we're nine games in the, into the year and we haven't seen progress, it's not coming this year. And we need to accept that. At least it's not coming to the, to the level that we would like it to be. And it doesn't really matter what we like, right? They're the ones making the decisions. They're the ones that are calling the shots. But at the end of the, end of the day, if they're losing games and they're scoring 53 points in the process against teams that they can beat, by the way. That was not an, invinci an invincible team. You can't sit there and tell me, like, oh, well, Kentucky wasn't ever winning that one. Yeah, they were. They were down by two with four minutes left. They were down by a bucket, and they had several opportunities to execute, and they simply didn't. I think it's John Calipari's fault. I think it's the coaching staff's fault. I blame the coaches instead of the players for this one. And I'm not calling for anybody's job. I'm not saying anybody should be fired. Let me be clear. If anybody's going to melt down in the comments about this, let's go ahead and melt down about something else because I'm not calling for anybody to get fired. I'm calling for an adjustment. And it's not going to be made, I don't think. So what do we do? We'll talk about moving forward later on the show, but I want to kind of dive in more specifically to this, this UCLA game, this 53-point outing from the Wildcats just the other day. Before I get to that, though, I want to tell you guys about our friends over at LinkedIn Jobs. You talk about, you know, difficulty, just trying to get through everything. 
These days, every new potential hire that you can make can feel like a high stakes wager for your small business. You want to be 100% certain that you have access to the best qualified candidates available. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. It's incredibly easy to create a free job post. You can add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring. And they have simple tools like screening questions, makes it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience. Uh, so you can focus on who you'd like to interview and hire. It's very similar, actually, to the way that Kentucky basketball recruits. LinkedIn helps you get the right people you need. They help you get the five-star candidates in. And on top of that, they help you execute. Finishing the year well, this year is really important. And finding the right team member might help you close 2022 strong and help you set, uh, help you set up for a more successful year in 2023. It's all very simple, guys. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, moving along here on the Monday edition of Locked On Kentucky. Lance Dahl hanging out here with you. I hate the fact that all of these episodes recently have, have, have had to have some type of negative tone. Because I don't want to sit here and dog the program. I don't want to sit here and dog what's going on. But it's gotten to a point where I don't really think you could just ignore what's going on. I don't really think you'd just be like, yeah, it's okay. If you're out there saying this is okay, I would love to see what you have to say in the comments. And I'm not saying I love like I'd like to argue with you. I'm just genuinely curious to maybe help give me some perspective and maybe help me shine a positive light on what's going on right now. Kentucky loses to UCLA 63-53 to in the CBS Sports Classic. I want to run down some facts here for you guys before we get into what happened. Kentucky has played four teams inside the top 50 on Kempom this season. They scored more than 73 points in only one of those outings. And it took two overtimes to get there. That was Michigan State. Like I mentioned again, the Wildcats scored 53 points in the loss to UCLA. The last time, Kentucky scored less than 53 points can anyone guess, by the way, without looking it up? Saturday, March 2nd, 2019, in a 71-52 loss to Tennessee. Can anybody tell me the time before that? It was Friday, March 15th, 2013, where they lost 64-48 to to Vanderbilt in the SEC tournament. If my research is correct, it has happened three times. Three times. Since spring of 2013, this is the only the third time it has happened. It is quite simply an anomaly. It does not happen often and pair it with this other fact. Kentucky started seven and three, right? This is the first time since 2020 when the Wildcats went nine and 16 that Kentucky finished the first 10 games of the season seven and three or worse. The time before that was the 21 and 12 team from 2013. This isn't the end of the world for Kentucky. But the fact that the Wildcats haven't proven the ability to do certain important things this year, I think speaks volumes as to where they're at under Cal, and I think it speaks volumes as to what they're going to do for the rest of the year. That 21-12 and 12 team lost in the first round of the NIT tournament. It would be devastating to see Oscar Shibway return, say that he is gunning for a national championship, get all the pieces together, and go to the NIT 
And I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm not saying it's going to happen. All I know is that this SEC slate is going to be a gauntlet. It's going to be a rock fight night in and night out. And Kentucky's going to have to be ready. They're going to have to do something creative on offense, guys. They can't just sit here forever and be like, well, I guess we'll let Severe Wheeler dribble it into the paint, see if he can find something, dribble it back out, give it up to a forward, get it back, roll back into the paint, force up a weird layup, miss it badly, or give it off to Jacob Toppin for him to pull up and and try and hit a two-point jumper, which, as you know, if you've listened to the show, not a big fan of it, to put it lightly. So those are some facts about what's going on for the Wildcats, and that's some facts surrounding this game. Let's actually go ahead and get into some of the numbers here. 53 points, I think, is simply inexcusable, and I think a lot of you would agree with that. We talked about this matchup being a difficult one, but right? I didn't think Kentucky was going to win this game. Let me be, let's all be clear. Hey, I did not think Kentucky was going to win this game. But what I did not predict, what I could not have predicted, is the offensive ineptitude of the front court. So UCLA, as we scouted, right, they, they play very, very, like, physical defense. They make you take tough shots. Everybody got their, everybody got their panties in, the wad, oh, in a wad over the fact that I said that UCLA is not known for their defense under Mick Cronin. Like, I can't believe you, they play defense. Listen, I'm talking statistically. That's what I was saying. I was talking about from an adjusted efficiency standpoint, you go look over the last five, six years, their offense has consistently been better than their defense. And whenever the average fan thinks about UCLA, they think about the high-flying offenses with players like Lonzo Ball and Tiger Campbell and Johnny Zhujang, right? That's what they think about. So I was trying to give you guys a point in your corner, and you came out all defensive and with your panties in, the wa- in a wad over the fact that I thought that average fan, which is accurate, doesn't think about how good the defense at UCLA is. And it was very good in this game. Just straight up, it was very good in this game. Jacob Toppin, Oscar Shibway, combined to shoot 6 of 22 from the field. Oscar Shibway, I thought, was going to have a good game. Uh, He went 4 of 12. 4 of 12 from the floor. Missed all of his free throws. Had 16 rebounds. Oh my goodness, is all I can say. Whoa. Jacob Toppin, 2 of 10 from the floor. 0 of 2 from 3. This actually surprises me less. Because I can, I could definitely see this, this stuff happening with Toppin. Only in 24 minutes, by the way. Only in 24 minutes. Kentucky was fogging up shots, man. And let me tell you what it reminds me of. Uh, if you've been listening to this podcast for the year plus I've been doing this, do you remember the LSU game last year? I don't remember if it was the season or the, the SEC opener. It might have been. But it was in Baton Rouge. Very physical game. LSU plays very physical defense, right? And we came out of that game very frustrated because Kentucky scored like, what, 60 60 points? They lost 65-60. And I was talking about how, you know, it just how the the Wildcats were rushing everything. 
everything seemed panicked. Everything seemed like it was a shot in desperation to try and get back into the game rather than being calm, collected, and running their stuff and trying to get to their spots the right way. It's all about timing, right? It's all about doing the same things correctly over and over and over again. And if you get out of rhythm, you know, things start to get out of hand. Same thing happened in this game. Even though Kentucky was never truly down, they managed to claw their way back into it. It was a back-and-forth affair, and then UCLA started to pull away a little bit. Kentucky came back in it. And then at the very end, for those final four minutes, just chucking up shots with almost no reason. Most of them were not open looks. Most of them were not, most of them were not, I shouldn't say open looks, most of them were not good shots. Sometimes you can even take a defended shot and be like, that's a good shot. That was the best decision you could have made on this possession. They were not consistently making the best decision. And again, I want to go back to a lot of it has to do, and I do not care what anybody out there says, a lot of it has to do with what the coaches are running. You cannot tell me that it is the point guard's fault for him not having direction in an offense that needs to get a bucket in crunch time. He looks to the coach for a play call, and they run the play. There was no play to be had. There was no play to be had. At least not one that could generate an open look. That's not on the players. That is on the coaches. Let's be clear also. The players are not perfect, right? They continued to rush things. That's what we pointed out here first. They continued to rush things. Cason Wallace, 2 of 13 from the floor. Awful. Antonio Reeves, 2 of 13 from the floor as well. Awful. Severe Wheeler, surprisingly, guys. Hey, we've been upset about Severe Wheeler recently. 5 of 7, one, and one, 1 of 1 from 3. He had 6 assists, a steal. He had 6 turnovers. But a lot of that had to do with, again, UCLA played really good defense. It was a bad matchup. It was a bad matchup. But they should have done better than what they put out on the floor. 32.8% from the floor. 28% from three. And the killer, just the absolute mind-boggling statistic of 5 of 13 from the foul line. How the heck do you go from one of the better free-throw shooting teams in the nation, right, how on earth does that happen? You're shooting top you're shooting in the top third of the country last year with I would say arguably worse play, players with worse shot forms, I would say as a collective. And then you go 5 of 13? UCLA, here's the thing, everybody wants to talk about how good UCLA's defense is. There's nobody in front of you when you're shooting free throws. It's you and the basket. That's why they're free. And you made 38% of those? I think part of that is mental. And no, I'm not trying to build into the narrative that I'm blaming the coaching staff. I'm, not, I'm just being, I'm being completely honest. I would say this even if the coaching staff was perfect, perfectly fine. Part of that is mental. And I think part of that has to do with the coaching. These kids do not seem ready to play any sort of close game. They just don't. They just simply don't. And it boggles my mind. Part of that is mental, but also that if we're gonna if we're gonna get into the corner of criticizing the players, yeah, you can't go five for thirteen. Cal's not shooting the free throws for you. Plain and simple. I just I I I have a really hard time getting past this one. Uh, Jacquez, by the way, the the forward for UCLA, I said he might be a problem. I mean, he, he didn't shoot well in this game. I mean, to be honest with you, nobody really did outside outside of their guard Clark, um, who had fifteen on the night. Jalen Clark, that is. 
But I think Kentucky did enough to win this game. They did enough on defense to win this game. It's just Cal just... <laughs> I don't want to say he doesn't know how to run an offense because the man's won a national title and he's been in the sport for so long. you got to give him some type of credit and respect. But even then, you have to question, is Cal a made man in college basketball? Is he at the point where he can just do or say kind of whatever and it just be perfectly fine and acceptable to his fan base? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. Based on the last three seasons, no. We've talked before on this show about how important, you know, actually, let's save it. Let's save it. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save that for another day. Because there's so many different ways you can approach this. There's so many different ways you can talk about this. And hey, by the way, guys, guess what? Next Wednesday, not this Wednesday, the 28th, season SEC opener against the Missouri Tigers. We said to watch out for it. Uh, and, um, you know, I'm curious to see what Missouri does against Illinois this, this weekend, or Thursday, rather, but that's going to be a fun game. Hey, if Kentucky plays the way that they did against Missouri, that's going to be tough, and UCLA laid out the blueprint. Just, just manhandle them. You know, some teams can get through that. Michigan State can get through that. They can get through the physicality. Kentucky, because they don't have a scheme, they don't have an understanding of what's going on, they can't really, they can't really fight through it, even though they have so much athleticism and so much talent. Where do we go from here? Let's talk about where we go before we head out. Before I do that, though, I want to tell you guys about our friends over at BetOnline.net. BetOnline is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis, you can get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from football to basketball to soccer to esports. We've got it all over here at betonline.net. And if you love sports casts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. They are always the fastest and easiest way to get your sports betting fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. That is BetOnline, where the game starts. So where do we go from here, guys? We're looking ahead. Missouri is coming up. You've got Florida A&M. It would just be a crying shame if the Wildcats did not show up and play up to their talent level. So I'm just going to go ahead and say this, by the way, right? And this is not, well, if I say it and it doesn't happen, then the world's going to end. Because like I said earlier, the world's not ending. The staff has the opportunity to turn this around. The team has an opportunity to turn this around. It is not over by a long shot. But the start is pathetic. I'm just going to say it. I think it's pathetic. I think the fact that you couldn't execute against Michigan State and UCLA and games that you had opportunities to win, that's on, that's on the coaching staff. At worst, Kentucky should be 1-1 one one in those games right now. At worst, in my opinion. And you may scoff at that. I don't care. That's my, that's my thought on it. It would be a shame if they did not score 80 against Florida A&M, and I mean minimal, at the minimum, 80 points. You know why? Because Florida A&M is like the fourth worst team in the country. Third or fourth worst, depending on where you look, depending on whether, whether you look at Torvik or you look at Kim Palm. Kim Palm has Kentucky winning this game 82-47. to 47. If Kentucky doesn't score 80 in this game, if they don't get their offense back on track, it's um, it's not going to be like oh, it's the end of the world, but that's going to be a concern for me because guess who your opponent is the next the next game next week. A Missouri team that knows how to score. We've talked about it. They don't play great defense, but daggum, they can shoot. They shoot really, really well, guys. 
And sure, they didn't do well against Kansas. That does not mean they are a terrible team offensively. Just because you lose one game does not mean you're a terrible team offensively. You may say, well, apply that logic to Kentucky, Lance. Well, they've lost three games where they were not great offensively. And quite honestly, this game against Yale, they probably should, probably should have scored more than 69. Against Bellarmine, they probably should have scored more than 60. I don't know, guys. That's just my opinion. I think that the Wildcats should be scoring more than 60, 53, 69 against Bellarmine, Yale, and UCLA. That's just, I don't know if that's a crazy take to put out there, but that's just my thought. Wouldn't it be the cruelest thing if Kentucky found a way to lose to Louisville, who, by the way, has all of a sudden found a pulse? They beat Western Kentucky. They beat Florida A&M. By the way, if, if Louisville can beat Florida A&M, so can Kentucky, but they should beat them into the ground is what should happen. I'm just kind of ranting at this point. Anyway, point being, you've got the Missouri game. That's going to be a really, really big test for me. Because of where it's at, it's at Columbia. And if Missouri wins this Illinois game, buckle up because the fans are going to be there in Como. They're going to be there. Quite frankly, so, so should Kentucky fans. But yeah, you've, um, you've, got a, you've got a gauntlet ahead of you. LSU, Alabama, Tennessee, Texas A&M even. If you have to play Kansas. Missouri had to, you have to too. And don't even start with the, oh, well, it's going to be different because it's at Rupp Arena. You all know what the environment is at Rupp Arena is like. I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to, that's a, that's a conversation for another day. Arkansas, Florida, Auburn. You've got games across the slate. You've, you've got the potential to lose 12, 13, 14 games. You've got the, you've got the potential to lose 10 games in, in conference play. Boy, howdy, that's fun. So where does Kentucky go from here? I think they start by regrouping mentally. I think they start by assessing where where they're at from a confidence perspective, and this coaching staff works on that. Take baby steps, even if it means losing a game. If you're in the middle of a game, take it as an opportunity to develop. Take it as an opportunity to coach. Instead of forcing your kids to go willy-nilly floating shots up in desperation. Because if that's the way you want to play the game moving forward, they're never going to learn anything. They're never going to continue to develop. And they're never going to understand. And your team is never going to get to the point where they all of a sudden just, they hit the clutch gene. Oh my goodness, these guys are closing out every single game left and right in the SEC. That's not going to happen if you continue to coach the way that you are. And it all starts with what's going on up here. Settle them down. Build the confidence up. It's Kentucky. They're talented. They are capable of doing these things. And then second of all, after you build things up mentally, go out and actually teach them how to execute in these close games. It is wild to me how in four games, I think so far this season, Kentucky just doesn't look like they know what to do. Do not blame that on the players. There is no chance. There is no chance Cal is telling these kids what to do. They go out there, and on back-to-back-to-back occasions against big teams, they don't do what he says. That's not happening. Because if it was happening, players, certain players wouldn't be getting minutes. You get the smug vibe off of some teams in this league as well, you get you just get just a bad personality vibe off of some teams. Not this one. 
not this one. Some teams, even in this league, like I mentioned, just have unlikable squads. You can't look at Kentucky and say that. You can't look at Kentucky, Oscar Sheepway and say that he's, he's a bad personality. He's a team player. Severe Wheeler is a team player. Antonio Reeves was forced to be a team player because he wanted to transfer to a school like Kentucky. Kaysen Wallace is the definition of a glue man. He does everything for Kentucky. He doesn't take selfish shots, and he has stepped up in regulation whenever the team has needed him outside of his 213 performance against the, the Bruins. But I think this team needs a little bit more work on their chemistry, but they, it's not like this is a bunch of selfish ball hogs that don't know what to do whenever they try and play as a collective. They just need better coaching. They need better direction. They need better mental focus. And again, I asked the question, is it going to come? I don't know. I don't know. But during they they got to get things fixed. And again, it's not the end of the world, guys. But they've got to get things fixed. Hey, again, I just want to shout out Greg Cook for sponsoring today's episode. Really appreciate our guy out there, Greg Cook. And that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Kentucky. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On UK. You can follow me on Twitter at Lance Dahl underscore. And you can follow the show over on Instagram. That is at Kentucky Podcast. Any questions, comments, concerns, leave them in the YouTube comments below. Hit me on the socials. I will see you all tomorrow for another episode of Locked On Kentucky. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Greg.